0: Does the book of James contradict justification by faith? That's the question we're discussing today on The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me as always is Brian Dembozik. So, Brian, today we are um, jumping from Romans to James, um, which is a fun transition and a nice and a nice point counterpoint uh, kind of thing. It's like we planned this. (laughs) So, uh, so savvy listeners would probably have probably picked up by now that um, as we are having our discussions about scripture and about particular passages, we're generally following along with gospel projects, scope and sequence. And so as we follow the narrative of Acts, what we're doing is we are uh, jumping in and out of different epistles. And sometimes we're doing this to uh, provide additional context and try to place these in uh, in roughly around where they were happening in the narrative. Other times it is serving as more of a deep dive into a specific theme or or topic that connects to that narrative. So this is something that we're going to be doing for the next few months.
1: Yeah. And as, as we've talked about before, Aaron, we're not putting the epistles and not talking about them necessarily where it happens in the chronology of acts. So if you're trying to align more of a one-to-one correspondence of, all right, this just happened in acts. Now let's look at what Paul wrote about that or whatever. It's not going to be like that. Uh, Instead, because even that all the epistles would be backloaded in Acts. So um, instead, what we wanted to do was find what are some themes, what are some ideas that are talked about in the epistles, and let's align them with what we see happening in Acts to add further commentary on it. So as you said, tongue firmly in cheek, a lot of people see Romans and James in opposition. And so it's fitting. We've been looking at the gospel. We're looking at salvation by faith, Um alone in Romans and, and I mean, in Acts, uh, we, we, we've seen that in Romans before, uh, we're we're getting Paul on the radar. Of course, he's a champion of this. And so it's just a good time for us to look at, at James and see how it corresponds and and how, as, as we know, it fits well. They're friends. They're not foes.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, uh, so what we're going to do is today, because we are not, uh, unlike last week, we are not covering an entire book or the majority of a book, so we can actually read a little bit of uh, of James. So we're going to kick off reading uh, James 2:14 to 26, and then we're going to ask a few questions about this passage together. So, uh, so I'll kick that off, and uh, here we go. So this is James 2:14 uh, through 26 in the Christian Standard Bible translation. All right. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, if it does not have works, or in the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Well, show me your faith without works, and I will show you you faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Good! Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham your father justified by works in offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, Faith was made complete, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So this is uh this has been a an incredibly controversial passage uh, an incontro- an incredibly controversial whole book of the of the New Testament so much so that um, Luther during the Reformation this was one of the ones that he wanted to throw out um he just what he he's like this doesn't line up and he had to wrestle with it a great deal and ultimately came to see that no it yeah. does it does align with the New Testament and with the gospel, um, but it took a while for him to see how. So if you've ever been confused by this book, you're not alone.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that's you know the first question that we have to ask of it. We see it in verses 14 and 17 specifically. Is James saying that works save us? And that's the point of contention. That's what caused Luther to kind of arch his back and some others. When you read James, especially after you read Romans, for example, or as we've talked about, you know, the Jerusalem Council on Acts 15 and all these things, and you, you read a verse like, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works, can such faith save him? And it seems like James is contradicting what is clear in other parts of Scripture. And then a couple of verses later, when you read in the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. And so it's, I think it's easy and understandable that some people would read this and arch their backs as well and think, wait a minute, this does not align with what is clear in scripture. Maybe this isn't part of scripture. Maybe it shouldn't be, or, uh, you know, this is the wrestling match here. We don't start here and then say, well, there's something wrong with Romans. We, we, We have to say this stands out. It seems to stand out. I think the answer is no, of course. James is not saying that works save us. Notice the the writing here. We have to be really careful and be good readers. And also we have to read in context. So let's talk about being good readers first. Um, 17, in the same way faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. We can't miss that phrase at the end. Mm -hmm. James is not saying, hey, these are in isolation. He's putting them together. Um, and 14 is a similar idea. Can such a faith without works save? So somebody would say, okay, Brian, so James is, is saying there's faith, but are you saying that he's adding works to it? Well, and this is what takes us to the context of the letter. If we pull these verses out of their context, and that's all we do, we just kind of put that on a coffee mug or crochet mm-hmm. it on a pillow and look at that, it might seem to suggest that James is saying faith plus works equals salvation and that's bad math. But he's not. The context is he is arguing that works affirm or they prove genuine faith. That's what we have to... We have to filter our reading through James through that lens, that he is writing to people, it seems, that are making the mistake of saying, it doesn't matter what we do. As long as I had faith, as long as I trust in Christ, as long as I... In our context today, as long as I walked an aisle or prayed a prayer... I'm saved, and my life, even if it doesn't look any different, that's what I cling to. James's whole point is, wait a minute, this can't be. Your your life cannot look the same, especially over the long period. If you're saying that you have genuine faith and you walked an aisle, again in our nomenclature, 25 years ago, Mm -hmm. and your life looks no different then that probably isn't real faith. You probably did not trust in Christ. It wasn't genuine. That's hollow, insincere faith, and that will not save you. So we've talked about this before. James is looking back on a decision where Paul in Romans, for example, is looking forward into that trusting in Christ. So that perspective is really important. James is not saying that works save us he's saying that works prove that salvation has occurred.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that is and that's really important because that's what helps us make sense and really these these verses in many ways serve to emphasize the point that you that you've made but if you if you think about uh, verses 18 and 19. He says, "But uh, some will, someone will say, you have works, or you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith. I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. So this, this is this leads to this question that that arises out of." Um, out of 14 and 17, really that this question of, is James being critical? Um, and no, he is not because he doesn't have, um, a true, genuine life-changing faith in mind. He has, um, what we might call easy believism. So pray a prayer and then go do whatever you want. Uh, type of thing. The, the exact same thing that Paul wrote against as well when he was speaking of justification by faith in Romans and saying, um, you know, so so what then shall we shall we sin more so that grace may abound? And he says, by no means. And James is doing the same thing here. This is his by no means. You can have, he's saying, you can profess faith all you want. You can say you believe that God is real all you want, that the one true, there is only one true God and that Jesus is him. You can, you can actually be able to articulate the, the idea of the Trinity that God is, um, that, that God simultaneously exists is, is one God who exists as three persons, the, the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. Um, but that doesn't mean that you actually that you actually have true living faith, yeah. because a demon can believe can say that, and they know it. They know it better than we do, because <laughs> they've seen him, and uh, and it's not going to go well for them either. But um, but that's the but that's the thing. And so what he's what he's uh, what he's getting at here is he he really wants us to understand that works express our faith. And so we've been hammering this, this part, this home a lot in the last few weeks, because we've talked about justification by faith. We've talked about justification and works. We've talked about Romans. We're talking about this. It's like, we've been talking about this for about a month now together. So um, for all of you who have been listening consistently, um, (laughs) sorry, or God really (laughs) wants us all to really get this point home Uh, let's go with that one (laughs) but uh, but think about think about it this way Um, a shallow hollow not really real faith at all um, is what drives us into two different kinds of ditches one of those is the idea of um, works based salvation so the idea that, that what we do if we can be good enough people if we can obey all the right rules at least externally um, then we're good that's legalistic moralism and it is an abomination um it is something that god hates (laughs) because um and we see this and we see this in um we see this in in isaiah as well where he's rebuking the israelites and and they're like well we've you know we've been you know, we've been fasting and giving all the sacrifices. And he's like, well, here's the, here's the fast that I'm asking for. Here's the sacrifice I want. And it's not this. It's not enough to just do the, do the rituals. You actually have to believe. And so that's one side. The other side is that uh, is, is this notion that all, again, this easy believism notion of all we need to do is, is profess faith. Um, and then we can go about our business. We can pray the prayer. We can walk the aisle. We can, uh, we can get baptized every summer at camp, et cetera. Um, and, then, uh, and then we're good. Um, we can have a good cry, etc. cetera. Um, that is functionally what we would call licentiousness. Um, and so it's the opposite coin of legalism. Um, And it is its own kind of moralism, interestingly, (laughs) um, because it has its own functional rules, which are which really come down to you can't tell me what to do. Um, I do what I want. Um, And it is equally an abomination. (laughs) Um, God hates that, too. Um, So it's so it is one of these things that it's like you need real, genuine faith. Always, always, always. And that is what. James wants us to understand here. Exactly. Your faith is expressed in and what you do. What you say you believe shows And, and he's up. emphatic
1: about it. You know, you were mentioning, we've been talking about this a lot and, and we have, but notice how emphatic James is about this. It's because it's important. Um, and we see these errors all mm-hmm. around us. We're, we're prone to them, but we also see them all around us. So it really matters. I think, the, the next question, as we look at this text, uh, it's kind of a, a two questions in one. Uh, James mentions two people here, Abraham and Rahab. And I think we need to pause and ask what is he doing with these two people? Why does he bring them, each of them, into the discussion? They each have something really important to, to bring into it. So the first one is Abraham. It's, it's not surprising. He, James is writing to early believers. This was one of the first, earliest letters written. Um, And so he's writing to mostly believers who are from Jewish background, Jewish thinking, familiar with the Old Testament, of course. And so it makes sense that he's going to bring Abraham in as an example. Here's exhibit A. Let me show you somebody who is revered. We know from reading the Gospels that, you know, Abraham, Father Abraham, he, he was one of the most important characters in the Old Testament. And so basically, James is saying, let's think about Abraham. Abraham is introduced in Genesis 12. He's mentioned at the tail end of 11, but for all intents and purposes, chapter 12 is where Abraham steps into the story. And we see God telling him to leave his land and then go, uh, the Abrahamic covenant in 12, 1 through 3. And Abraham obeys. He, he works, if you want to call it that in James' nomenclature here. He follows God. He, he obeys. He goes. Not perfectly, of course, but on some level. But then you jump ahead to chapter 15, Mm -hmm. where Abraham is is complaining, hey, I'm old. God, you still haven't made good in your promise. And God basically takes him out behind the divine woodshed and kind of whoops him. This is where look up in the sky, count the stars if you can. (laughs) Um, And we read there that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness, God's righteousness was deposited into his account at that point. That's salvation language. And so many people look at Genesis 15 as Abraham's salvation experience. And James is arguing, Mm -hmm. but let's think about this. If Genesis 15 is his salvation experience, what has preceded that? Works. Works didn't save him. This, his faith saved him. But what follows? More works specifically the sacrifice of Isaac or his willingness to sacrifice Isaac, that work is what James points to and says, this work did not save him, but what did that do? It affirmed his salvation. It affirmed that he trusted in God. It proved the faith that was born back in Genesis 15. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's a really logical argument that James is bringing to bear that the, the, willingness to sacrifice Isaac was not unimportant it was critical, but did that save Abraham? No, his faith back in 15 saved him. But that faith led to what would follow in what Genesis 22, I believe it is. So, so that's the yeah. first exhibit. But then what James does is he quickly brings in Rahab. He is pointed to a Jew among Jews. Now it's time to bring in basically the opposite, a Gentile woman, and in that culture, Gentiles were not thought much of, nor neither were women. So he brings in her and says, let's talk about Rahab. Rahab had faith too, didn't Mm she? When the spies were hidden by her, she had more faith than many of the Israelites did and said, hey, God's going to win this victory. She, She declared faith on some level at that point. But that wasn't it, was it? She acted on that faith when she hid the spies and so forth. So what, what James does in a brilliant way, he goes to both extremes to argue and everything in between and shows how it's always faith, but faith always results in works.
0: Yeah. And it's really important that we that we get that. And, and this is actually to back up a little bit to Abraham, uh, because you think about the narrative you think about the narrative of his life um after after the text says that that it is that his that his faith is is credited to him as righteousness um he does some pretty boneheaded yes. things like right after like so for example he lies about who his wife is and Tells a, you know, and gives her away to someone else to be there to be their bride, um, by saying she's his sister, and God curses them. <laughs> you know, that's that's the kind of things. If if we were in a works based scenario here, Abraham no. doesn't
1: make the cut. But nor do we.
0: No, exactly, exactly. So and that um and that really leads us to this next question which is how does this passage how does this understanding that faith um, faith is expressed through our works and proven through our works how does that change how we disciple others
1: I think the uh, the first idea Aaron goes back to what you mentioned with those two ditches um, that that it is so easy for us to either, start there so um you know discipling somebody and either they are new to the faith and that they kind of think in one of those two ways or maybe it's not really discipleship proper maybe it's more evangelism where we're trying to share the gospel with somebody and they could be starting from one of those two they they have to be good enough of a person or as long as they you know you tell me i can get fire insurance just you know do whatever i want be saved from hell by just you know saying that jesus is god okay So I think it's really important that we come alongside whoever we're discipling or evangelizing and help them understand these two ditches, the dangers of both, and that beautiful road in between, the right road of the gospel that James is pointing us to, of saying, no, we, we, we have faith. It's all about faith. But that faith leads to works that are born out of gratitude for what Christ has done. We live victoriously in Christ's victory. Um, we, we seek to obey out of delight, um, gratitude again for what God has done. And, and so helping them avoid those extremes, those two ditches. And again, I think it's an ongoing discipleship thing. I think we're prone to, to teeter at least toward them at times, or we maybe even fall into them at times, maybe not intellectually. We know that our works aren't keeping us good with God, but we're living that way. Yeah. Uh, we... So, yeah, yeah, I think that's a really important thing for us to keep in mind as we're discipling others.
0: Yeah, um, another thing that um, we we can take away from this is the absolute importance of reading and studying Scripture correctly. And so, by correctly. I mean, we make sure that we read it in context. So don't just go to a passage. um, And uh, actually, we were talking about this in our community group recently, how when we were younger, we used to play a game we called Bible roulette. And so we would um, we would uh, pray and be like, "Okay, God, what do you want to say to us today? And then flip open the book and then point. (laughs) So, which generally speaking, not a good way to read the Bible, (laughs) but, uh, but this, so because you lose context, you lose, you lose the fuller picture of what's being said, um, and it leads to confusion. And so we, we want to make sure that those we are discipling are reading the Bible And taking reading a passage in the Bible and reading it on its own terms, reading it inside of the the larger argument that's being made in the entirety of the book or in the in the type of book that it is. So so your genres and and things like this, this matters, too. Um, So this is a little bit of a rabbit trail. But, you know, you don't read a psalm the way that you read narrative. Yeah. They, they're they're different things one is one is one is po- poetic um, and more artful and um, you know I, I think I've mentioned on here uh, I generally refer to the psalms as the most human book of the Bible because there's so much about the human experience of faith um, and so you see you see things get pretty raw there. Um, you don't read the Psalms the way that you read the Proverbs. Um, you don't read the Proverbs the way that you read the Prophets, and you don't read the pro- the, the Proverbs the way that you read the Prophets, because the Proverbs are not promises. The pro- proverb and proverbial wisdom <laughs> go together. Um, so things so things like that, and that helps you understand James too, because James writes very much in that proverbial wisdom type of language in this epistle. Um, so you read, so you read within the context of the of the arguments. If there is an argument that's being made, you read it in the context of its book and its genre, and you read with the full council of scriptural scripture in mind. So you don't isolate a book from the rest of the Bible um, because that's where you get the James yeah. versus Romans thing going on, and that doesn't work. definitely.
1: On. I think the other, another thing that we need to uh, come alongside the people we're discipling and help them with this area is, is really a practical uh, outpouring of, of this study of, of, of James. And we need to consider what works our faith is supposed to produce and is producing. I, I think this is really easy for us to talk about intellectually. And so, okay, I, I'm following, I get James's argument, and then we live our lives know differently. Uh, but I think we really need to pause and, and think deeply about this and help others that we're discipling think deeply about this. How can we display our faith? Uh, I think there are some general answers that we need to address. I think, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, for example, is one that people would turn to and say, well, we should be demonstrating gentleness, for example. That's sorely needed in our culture today. And if the church was demonstrating that fruit, mm-hmm. that, is, that is evidence of the gospel, evidence of our faith. So I think, you know, and that's true for everybody, it's important, but I think we need to get to a specific level as well. Well, what does that look like in my life? What does gentleness look like for me with my family, with my neighbors, with my coworkers, my community, uh, my Twitter engagement? You know, the list goes on and on. What, what opportunities has God given me? Where has he placed me? And how can I live my faith? What does that look like? And this is where there will be similarities, of course, but what is true of me may not be exactly the same as you. Um, and so this is what we want to do is we want to, to give legs to this teaching and help people think through what practical steps might this look like to live in faith. To trust. Maybe it's somebody who's not giving anything financially to the church and you want to say, why aren't you? And really it's because of a, of a lack of faith and say, okay, well take that step and, and start giving something. Uh, maybe it's that strained relationship and, and that step of faith is going to them and seeking reconciliation. Uh, again, it, maybe it's toning down what you share on Twitter, you know, or whatever. Uh, You know, it's just to think practically and don't let this be abstract and just move on because we're not doing what James is talking about. And if we're doing that, we may intellectually agree with his argument, but we're not following it. We are doing what he's warning against. We are are demonstrating faith without works. We're not letting it change us. So I think that's a really important takeaway from this as well.
0: Brian, I think that's a good note for us to end on here today. So thanks for chatting about uh, James, and uh, thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it and found it helpful, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.